Well, you're in tune to Enlightenment Radio tonight. Thank you for joining us. This is the time of the year when we all come together over one thing. That's the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everyone, everyone is cognizant because that's the calendar we go by, his birth. That's the world calendar. Anyway, let's start with a little music first. Then we'll get into, uh, basically, we're just going to go over, not the day of his birth. We're going to do over some teachings maybe that lead up to his birth and the significance of it and why they expected it so much because of the prophecy in the Bible that pertained to it. I think Christmas Eve is the most warm, the most wonderful. Well, there's a, there's a certain magic about this night that you just have to feel to believe. As my mother used to say, it's the one night that every one of us is expecting. Of course, there are a few drawbacks, like, like trying to get the kids to sleep. That's a sure. Over in Austria, they have written a beautiful lullaby that parents there sing to their children on Christmas Eve. The words go something like this. Still, still, still. One can hear the falling snow. The night is peaceful all around you. So close your eyes and let sleep surround you. And all is hushed. The world is sleeping. The holy star, its vigil keeping. Still, still, shh. One can hear the falling snow. Tis the eve of our Savior's birth.
that was the famous and uh, gifted Roger Williams. We went to church. We were fortunate to go to that church that had him play. He's a famous uh, pianist and musician here in America and around the world, really. And it was just a great time for people to come together and enjoy the atmosphere and the celebration of our Savior's birth. Now, that was on Christmas Eve, but that doesn't matter. We should be celebrating his birth every day. And I do. Do you notice if I, ha I have a rotation of Christmas music in my normal rotation anyway? So, Jesus Christ, this is your host, Mystic Guide on Enlightenment Radio. It's a Sunday night in Bollywood. It's a Sunday morning here in sunny Georgia. <laughs> Not so sunny. However, but what Jesus Christ was called throughout our ministry was the promised seed. Why was he called the promised seed? To comprehend the significance of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, one must have a knowledge of Old Testament prophecies relating to him, who was prophesied to be the Christ or the Messiah. What would be the Messiah's mission? In this study, we will examine several scriptural prophecies of the promised one, beginning in the book of Genesis. The first reference, you might want to mark this in your Bible, is in Genesis 3.15, where God is speaking to the adversary, the devil, after the disobedience of Adam and Eve. This was a showdown. So in Genesis 3.15, and I, God, will put enmity a condition of separation and hostility between thee, the serpent, the devil, and the seed of the woman. It shall bruise thy serpents, the devil's head, and thou shalt bruise his heel, the seed of the woman's heel. That's where that verse starts. That's where he makes the declaration that he's going to send, basically, a savior. The single verse sets forth the central theme of all the scripture. It's the red thread, the redeemer, which is interwoven throughout the old and new scripture. The offspring of a woman is promised who will ultimately destroy the adversary and his works. This prophecy was passed down from generation to generation. So they, as This prophecy was passed down from generation to generation as the peoples of the earth migrated from the Tower of Babel to populate the earth's surface. They carried this knowledge with them. This prophecy's meaning became distorted or lost by some, but others kept the truth of it embedded in their hearts so that they looked for a coming redeemer, a coming seed, of the woman of the Messiah. What shall 
That was with Child Is This, What Child Is This, Tommy Prophet, and uh, singing with him, Avril Levine. As time progressed, God further delineated a gene genealogical line from which the Redeemer would come. It had to be a pure line. God promised Abraham that the Messiah would be of his offspring. In Genesis 21, 12, God told Abraham that in Isaac shall thy seed, or the Christ, be called. Abraham had other sons. However, it would be from Isaac that the promised seed would be descended. This is important, this promised seed, okay? Not only in the material sense or the genealogical sense. Everything was important in genealogy back then. And it also becomes significance in our seed, because Christ is our seed. How did God go about getting our seed a spiritual seed? That's what this is entirely the whole book is about. Abraham had other sons, and uh, so God's promise to Abraham continued implementation of the promise which God had made centuries before in Genesis 3.15. Paul, in writing the epistle to the Galatians, also testified to the true truth. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He hath not, and to seeds of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Doesn't say Jesus, it says Christ. Thousands of years later, God had made his promise to Abraham, the Apostle Paul looked back and by revelation declared that the promise in Genesis 21:12, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, referred to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as the promised seed. So that's where we get our term, the promised seed. The prophet Moses led Israel out of the bondage of Egypt and toward the promised land. Not only did Moses give God's law to the Hebrews, but Moses also prophesied of a coming prophet whom Israel must follow. Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 18. The Lord thy God will raise up unto you a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, Moses. Unto him ye shall hearken. If I, referring to the Lord, will raise them, the children of Israel, up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. Listen to this, people. This is why he could not have been God. I, God, will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. You notice when Jesus said words or words of commandment, how powerful they were, how truthful they were, because it was the words of God coming out of Jesus Christ's mouth, his son. This is, this, uh, so this coming Messiah would be raised up among the brethren and would be a prophet like unto Moses. You see, Moses was speaking what God told him to also. Not only would the Messiah be a prophet of the stature of Moses, 
He would also be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Psalms 110.4 prophesied of the coming priest. Psalms 110.4, the Lord has sworn and will, and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 5.6 announces the fulfillment of the prophecy when it says, Thou, Christ, art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The promised seed was to be both a prophet and a priest. In addition to prophet and priest, the Messiah was to be king. Starting with Abraham, the genealogy of the Messiah follows with Isaac. And then on to his son, Jacob, who was renamed Israel. Jacob had 12 sons who eventually fathered the 12 tribes of biblical sons of the 12 tribes of the biblical nation called Israel. One of those 12 sons was Judah. It was from Judah, as prophesied by Jacob, on his deathbed that the scepter, the symbol of rulership, would not depart. The scripture shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and until him shall the gathering of the people be. Many years after Jacob spoke those words, the rulers of God's people emerged from the tribe of Judah, beginning with King David. The phrase, until Shiloh come, refers to the Messiah's coming. The Messiah would come, the final ruler of Israel, and he would be from the tribe of Judah. So the children of Israel had the hope of a coming ruler, a Messiah descending from Judah, sent from God to deliver them. Thus, this hope was real to the people of Israel. can be in a prophecy about Israel given by Balaam to the ruler of Moab. Balaam declares that this revelation when the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness ventured near Moab. Numbers 23:21. He, the Lord, hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, the nation of Israel, Neither hath he seen perseverances. Israel, the Lord his God, is with him, and thou shalt be of a king is among them. The shout, thy king, was Israel's joyous expectation of a coming Messiah. How meaningful of this hope was in them. And then, for Second Samuel seven twelve, and verse thirteen sixteen. And when David's days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I, the Lord, will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out from the vows. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, when Jesus Christ arrived, they thought it was forever. Now, when they think it was forever, they kept asking him and kept thinking and following him, when is he going to establish his kingdom and get rid of these Romans, get rid of these uh, Jews that are evil? When is he going to establish his kingdom? That's why before he ascended, Lord, at this time, will thou establish thy kingdom? Well, now you can say forever and have a period of time in between of suspension of that prophecy. There was a slight time in between, and that's what puzzled us. 
That's what puzzled the world, and that's the period of time we're in now, because God kept that period of time hid. It's called the mystery. Therefore now, the Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David and my father, that would be Solomon, that thou promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man, David, would have descendants in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel. In Psalms, the Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it of the fruit of thy body, Aramaic means belly or loins, will I set upon a throne. And Jeremiah, for thus saith the Lord, David shall never want. For there shall not be cut off from David a man who sits upon the throne of the house of Israel. I, the Lord, have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant, thy seed will I establish forever and build upon thou those to all generations. Shelah. God promised David that he would establish David's throne forever. The Messiah was to come out of the royal line of David and his son Solomon, and was sit on the throne forever. This Messiah is described in Isaiah 1 and 10 as a rod of the stem of Jesse and a root of Jesse. Jesse, having been the father of David, what tremendous promises there were to David and to all the children. Besides being a descendant of David, the Messiah was to be born in a definite place as prophesied in the book of Micah. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet thou out of thee shall be come forth out among, or unto me, that is, to be ruler of Israel, who is going forth, forthcoming, have been from old, from everlasting. So... Jesus was to come from a line of kings, and it was to be from the line of David. And you wonder, well, how can this be? That's why they each of the four Gospels, except one, went through the lineage in the beginning of where Jesus was to be come from. And this last prophecy even told where he would be born. And... All of these things were foretold in order to prove that he was the Messiah.
You are in tune to Enlightenment Radio, home of the ultimate knowledge of body, soul, and spirit, and unlimited music 24-7. Be sure and visit our website at enlightenment-radio.com. There you can journey through the mystical voyage and also view our schedule of programming. Thank you for listening. God's omniscience, he foreknew and foreordained from the foundation of the world that the Messiah would come. The Messiah's coming being began being revealed to man as early as Genesis 3.15. Because of God's promises, mankind anticipated the Messiah's coming. By the time of Micah, as recorded above, all Israel could know God's promises of a Messiah. Micah was around 400 years before the gospel of the birth of Christ. All of Israel would know God's promises of a Messiah and that he would be a royal descendant of David, of the tribe of Judah, of the lineage of Abraham. So now it's getting more clear and closer and more prophecies pertaining to him that had to fit in order for him to to be declared the Messiah. The prophet Micah then revealed that of all the cities of Judah, the Messiah would come out of a little town named Bethlehem. So far we've observed a number of key scriptures telling of God's promise of a Messiah, a Redeemer. However, a passage after could be cited from the Old Testament that in some way alludes to a for- or foreshadows the coming Savior. The sacrifices, the offerings, the law, the tabernacle, the temple. God used these and many other things to illustrate and prepare his people for their coming Messiah. Indeed, the scriptures as a whole, when rightly divided and understood, pertain to the Christ. From Genesis 3.15 through Revelation 22.21, Jesus Christ is the underlying subject, the red thread, of the Word of God. The written Word makes known the Christ, and the Christ makes known God. When you understand this, that the Messiah, the promised seed, is the central subject of the Bible from Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 22.21, 21, 
you then begin to perceive that many ways he was or is revealed in God's word. Even historical events are recorded in such a way as to show the coming Messiah and his work. An example of this is found in Hosea 11.1, 1, where God's word says, I, God, loved him and called my son out of Egypt. From the context, it is clear that this is a reference to God's having called Israel the nation. He had adopted as his son out of the bondage of Egypt. The adoption of as his son was the adoption of his son referred to Israel. Israel was the adopted son of God. An example uh, that's... uh, his son out of the bondage of Egypt. The scriptural record of his historical event is also prophecy concerning Jesus the Christ. The fulfillment of this prophecy is recorded in Matthew 2, 13, 15. Another example is the well-known prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin, the Hebrew is, the Hebrew meaning Amah, meaning simply a a young woman or shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. A study of Isaiah 7 and 8 shows that the prophecy had an immediate fulfillment in Isaiah's time besides its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. God worked on the course of human events according to his divine plan so that uniquely Isaiah himself and his sons were, according to Isaiah 8.18, for signs and for wonders in Israel. Israel. Chapters 7 through 9 of Isaiah show how Isaiah's sons communicated God's revelation to Israel. Isaiah 7.3 tells of a son named Sher-Jashub, whose name foretold how remnant would return from captivity. Isaiah had another name. I can't even read this one. It's a long one. This name is explained in Isaiah 8, 8, 15 as indicating that Assyria, Assyria would spoil Israel and Syria enemies of Judah. As God revealed his will by these two sons of Isaiah, so Isaiah 7, 14 from the context would then refer to a son of Isaiah whose name was Emmanuel. The birth of Isaiah's son Emmanuel was fulfillment of the prophecy given to Isaiah 7, but not its only fulfillment. This prophecy and the event foretold are also used by God to communicate the great truth concerning the coming Messiah in whom the prophecy had its ultimate fulfillment as recorded in Matthew 1.1. Matthew 1.1 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with a child, and shall bring forth a child, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, however, they get that mixed up. Emmanuel is merely a, a, a name, a messianic name. It's a messianic name. It means God with us. So does Jeremiah. Jeremiah means God with us. Well, that doesn't mean Jeremiah was God. It's just a messianic name. Since Matthew one twenty nine says, They shall call his name Emmanuel. Why is the Christ never called by his name throughout the rest of the Gospels? That's true. There are instances in God's word where God will give a name to a man, yet the man is known to men by another name. This is true of Solomon and of God 
sent by the land of Nathan the prophet, and he called Solomon's name Jedidiah because of the Lord. God calls Solomon by the name of Jedidiah through, though he is not properly known by that name. Even today, our Western culture and Manhattan can have one or more middle names, yet they may be written down only as initials, for he chooses to write them to write them at all. So, Christ Jesus could be given another name by God that was not generally known among men. Furthermore, there is no Hebrew or text or ancient version of Isaiah 7.14 from which Matthew 1.23 is quoted that gives they as the subject of the verb call. In Matthew 1.23, a Greek manuscript read, you will call, while some Latin manuscripts read, he will call. In views of these variations, the only necessity and fulfillment of this prophecy was that Mary and Joseph include the name Emmanuel. And considering prophecy, he foretells, it should be noted that the prophecy is generally not fully understood until the time it starts to come to pass and which realizes its fulfillment. That's true. Most often, the prophecy was not realized until it started to come to pass, the significance of it. Same when Jesus taught. He taught about his own death and resurrection. They didn't understand it until it actually happened. So biblical prophecies in the light of experience and conjecture, which is why so much prophecy concerning future events has been distorted by guesswork and spiritualizing. And that's true. It goes on all the time today about the false prophets, what they're teaching. While we should never forget that Christ is the subject of the Scripture, we must guard against drifting into typology and the misapplication of a Scripture's intended meaning. The immediate or literal meaning of a passage must be understood before its relationship to Jesus Christ can properly be comprehended. That's what we do here at Enlightenment Radio. We research and study the scriptures and rightly divide them so they're not taken out of context, that they're not misinterpreted, that they're not mistranslated. After 45 years of research, we try to straighten all that out. You can read that in my book, Christ in a Mystery, A Mystical Approach to Conscious Enlightenment Out of the Scriptures. In there, I go into detail. Uh, son, family, I think that's chapter 3. Or seed, son, and family. That's what it is, seed, son, and family. Or I detail how it is possible for Jesus Christ to be born of a woman and yet be without sin. How was that possible? So there's many things that need to be clarified in order to see how clearly this man did not have to be a God-man to be without sin. It was very simple. His seed was of God. And that's where the sin comes down is in through the seed. You can read about it in my book. Uh, it's on the uh, mysticalvoyage.com. While we be certain that those prophecies that are recorded in scriptures, there are other prophecies which were simply spoken and not written. For example, Matthew 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, this prophecy is not found in the Old Testament. 
nevertheless, spoken prophecies are revelation and are fulfilled. That's what confused him a little bit in the Gospels. Other dynamic examples of the prophecies foretelling the Messiah are the five passages, passages which tell of the coming branch. The Hebrew word for branch is Shema. The word Shema is used only 12 times in God's word. And in five instances, it pertains specifically to Messiah. A more precise translation of the Shema is that which springeth up or sprout, a shoot or an offspring. A Shema is a young shoot newly sprouted from the ground. We need to study these five uses of Shema as they relate to the Messiah, for we will gain important knowledge. First, let's look at Jeremiah. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, same word, Shema, offspring, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice on the earth. The righteous branch would be the descendant of David. He would inherit the, whole, the throne of David, and as such would be a king. It is this aspect of the Messiah which is the first the verse designates, which, which his, this verse designates. So, so one of the important qualities of the Messiah, the righteous branch or offspring, is that he would be a king. Another use, Jeremiah 33. Behold, the, the, the days come, said the Lord, and I will be... Perform a good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and in that time I will cause the branch to righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. So again, Jeremiah foretells of the Messiah as a descendant of David, one who would execute judgment and righteousness as a king. This is the second prophecy in which the coming branch, the Samah, is portrayed as a king described from David. Zechariah foretells another aspect of the offspring. Zechariah says, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thou follow, and they thy that follows, that sit before thee, they, for they are men wandered at or for behind. Behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch, Shema. In this scripture, the coming branch is Sema, is called a servant. The position of a servant would be another aspect of the characteristics, characteristics, characteristics. In this scripture, the coming branch is Sema, called a servant. The position of a servant would be another aspect and characteristic of the Messiah. Zechariah also foretells a third characteristic of the Sema, the coming branch, and would be a man. The speak and speak, Zechariah says, and speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of this place and shall be the temple of the Lord. Behold, the man whose name is the branch, the fourth and final aspect of the branch is recorded in Isaiah. In that day, they shall, they shall. In that day, shall the branch sema of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped Israel. Here, the Messiah is prophesied to be the branch of the Lord. That is the fourth and great aspect of the Messiah. 
For with this verse we have seen all the uses of the uh, word Sama, which pertained to the Messiah. The coming branch of the offspring was prophesied in these scriptures as having four characteristics. The promised Messiah was to be a king, he was to be a servant, he was to be a man, and he was and the Son of God. In studying these four characteristics in light of the four Gospels, one arrives at a significant and illuminating truth. By careful scrutiny, we can see that the Gospel of Matthew emphasizes the kingly qualities of Christ, the Messiah who filled the Old Testament prophecies. That is why the genealogy in Matthew begins with Christ's royal genealogy from Abraham down to David and Solomon to Mary, tracing the royal lineage forward to Jesus Christ and clearly demonstrates his qualifications for inheriting the throne of David. The term kingdom of heaven is found 32 times in Matthew's gospel, while it is not found once in any of the other gospels. The kingdom of heaven was the reign of God's anointed king on the earth. The kingdom of heaven is a segment of the overall kingdom of God in which God is king. There are ten parables which are unique to Matthew, all of which depict aspects of life which are associated with the king. Many of the events recorded in Matthew emphasize Jesus' position as God's son and king. The phrase son of David, emphasizing the royal lineage, occurs more frequently in Matthew than any other gospel. In any In studying the Gospel of Mark, we can see the Gospel emphasizes Jesus Christ as the servant, willing to accept responsibility in serving, helping others. Mark records no genealogy. This is significant because a servant does not gain his position by descent. The Gospel of Mark basically begins with God's Christ's ministry. The word translated Lord or Sir in the Greek kurios is used 73 times of Christ in the other three Gospels, but only three times in the Gospel of Mark. Mark puts great stress on Jesus' action in the service of God, his fellow man. The Gospel of Luke portrays Jesus Christ as a man, a human being with the needs, emotions, and feelings of like any other man. Thus, Jesus Christ, the perfect man in Luke's overall emphasis. Luke 33 or 323.38 records Jesus' legal ancestry as a man. Though Joseph, who reared him all the way back to Adam, the first man, this genealogy, unlike the royal genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew, begins with Jesus and goes chronologically in reverse, as is normally done in a commoner's genealogy. This entire Gospel of Luke emphasizes Jesus Christ's relationship with the common man. He is depicted as a friend of the publicans and sinners. There are 11 parables unique to Luke which emphasize the practicality human aspects of his life. Of the four Gospels, the one that clearly stresses Jesus Christ's position as the Son of God is, yes, the Gospel of John. So John, beginning, and the word, logos, made flesh, dwelt among us and we beheld this glory, the glory as of a only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in heaven or the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. John 20:31. But there are written that ye might but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The gospel of the word Father is used almost three times as often as in any other gospel. It is frequently used in describing God's relationship to Jesus Christ. In the gospel, rather than opening with a long, detailed genealogy, John simply calls Jesus the Son of God. Some of Jesus' great miracles, such as the healing of the blind man in John 9 and the raising of Lazarus in John 11, are <clears throat> recorded in the book of John. The phrase, laid down as life, is found only in John, where it is used six times. In considering the five Old Testament prophecies of the coming branch, Samah, and it's interesting that two of them emphasize that he would be a king ruling from the throne of David, there are two books in the New Testament which emphatically show Jesus Christ as the king. One is the Gospel of Matthew, the other is the book of Revelation, which foretells Christ's glorious return to the King of kings and Lord of lords. What a wonderful truth from God's miraculous word. I have one more page, and then we'll conclude this teaching on the prophecy and the promised seed of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a miracle. How did God do this over a period of four to 5,000 years? How was his timing in such a way that all of these prophecies would come to pass down to the very hour he was crucified, was prophesied? It's, it's just no coincidence, people. When you go through the prophecies and when they were fulfilled and when they happened and how they happened and everything came to pass just as told. And then we still have some prophecies to go. Fortunately, those pertaining to us are the ones that escape us from the great tribulation. God and his son, we have been given eternal life through the seed of Christ that because when he raised him from among the dead, he became God's spiritual seed which we, with which we are born again of. That's how he created that seed. That's how he got it. It was not available to be born again before the crucifixion the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was not available before then. You'll learn that later, or you can learn it from my book. It's in Galatians, how we, Christ became the seed of God. Thus, the emphasis of each gospel now comes into clear focus. In Matthew, Jesus Christ is the king, the ruler of Israel. In Mark, Jesus Christ is a servant a leader willing to accept responsibility in serving, helping others. In Luke, Jesus Christ is the perfect man, a human being with human qualities. In John, Jesus Christ is the Son of God with power. The coming of Jesus Christ is clearly foretold throughout the Old Testament. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, meaning anointed. The Greek Christos is translated from Aramaic with 
word Messiah and the Hebrew Messiah, both of which mean anointed. From these words, Messiah and Messiah, English der derives the word Messiah. I'm guessing. <laughs> Turn the page yet. To say Jesus Christ is to say Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Anointed One. Now you know why I don't like saying this, the word Jesus, because it has nothing to do with any power, any Anointed One, or anything pertaining to God's Son. The biblical times, kings were anointed with oil before coronation. Priests also were anointed with being set apart, with being set apart and uh, in their service for the Lord. To be anointed with oil represented one's king, being anointed with the presence of God, being chosen by God and designated for a special service for him. As the Messiah, Jesus Christ was God's anointed king over Israel. He was the Lord's chosen one, the prophesied promised seed of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ himself declares in Luke 24, 7, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus Christ, expounded unto them all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That must have been a mind blower. And he, Jesus Christ, said unto them, there are words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms and writings concerning me. What do you think he was doing all those almost 30 years? He was studying the scriptures before he got baptized, received the Holy Spirit, went out expounding the word. Search the scriptures, he says, Old Testament, for in them you have eternal life. And the Old Testament scriptures are they which testify of me, Jesus Christ. This is the point of this teaching. The hope that God gave to Israel was the hope of the coming Messiah. He would be their prophet. He would be their priest. He would be their king. As the Messiah, he would be a man. He would be a servant, and he would be the son of God. Toward him, all history was directed, for he was the promised seed. Jesus Christ was the promised seed, and the Bible is really about seed from Genesis to Revelation. This is, this, is, this is the end of our teaching tonight. God bless you, every one of you. And may these teachings lead you to a greater understanding, a greater reason that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the one who who became Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He will be, and he will be given us. We will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and those who remain will be left to go through the tribulation, unfortunately. But it's all written, and it's all clear. It's all told. So I'm going to play one more song. Yeah, you're familiar with this song, Silent Night. So God bless you. This has been Mystic Guide, your host, teaching you from the Word of God and the promises of God. Oh.